coming up in this episode. It's certainly a significant threat that we face from them and, and perhaps certainly in Europe, the most significant terrorist threat we've seen for at least a decade. Rob Wainwright is the director of Europol, the European Union's law enforcement agency. Its main goal is a safer Europe. He spoke to us in early 2016, well after the Paris attacks and well before the Islamic State struck again in Brussels. Wainwright told us prophetically what happened in Paris was a sign of things to come. If you look at it alongside other incidents, uh, attacks that they perpetrated about the same time, such as the downing of the Russian airliner in Egypt, a clear signal, therefore, that IS is going global with its campaign now. Um, moving on from what it started out as, as waging a semi-conventional war to gain territory and hold territory in Syria and Iraq to do something now which um, we've seen from other international terrorist groups in the past like Al-Qaeda. So it is going global with a particular intention to hit the West and I think that's what Paris told me. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. San Bernardino. Upwards of 14 people that are dead. We are now investigating these horrific acts as an act of terrorism. Paris. An attack on all of humanity. The Islamic State. I'm back, Obama. They want you to imagine them in the shadows as something greater than they are. Hostile nation states. They can't inflict mortal damage to the United States. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. This is Target USA. America in the crosshairs. Whether it's anarchist, cyber criminals, nation states, or terrorist, America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. I'm JJ Green, previously on Target USA. We've estimated that number of individuals who've traveled to Iraq and Syria as, as being above 38,000 at this point. Nicholas Rasmussen, director of the U.S. National Counterterrorism Center. Calculating the numbers of the Islamic State group fighting force is difficult, but there's a smaller group of that 38,000 that the National Counterterrorism Center is specifically concerned about. We're particularly concerned about the subset of that 38,000 um, probably in the approximately 7,000 range of people who come from Western countries because of the greater ease with which they might be able to travel to, uh, to Western countries and even uh, potentially to the United States. And now, on this program, a profound look at the wide reach of the Islamic State group, the intimidation factor it promotes, and Europe's attempts to get a handle on it. In Paris, honestly, I don't feel really safe because I think if I hear something uh, strong, uh, a strong sound, uh, I think, oh, maybe, maybe something happened. Mm. And you know, it's, it's worse for the Parisian people because they are always nervous. Yes, always nervous. But they have to, to keep uh, uh, in a good, good mind. Yeah and their life uh, continue. That's Emma, a French woman. She spoke with Target USA on the West Indian island of St. Martin. She's working on an internship there. She spoke with Target USA 
the day after the Belgium attacks and didn't want to know anything at all about the attacks. Uh, it's really different uh, because when it happened, I was in uh, St. Martin and when uh, Paris attacks happened, I was in France. So here I don't feel it. I didn't watch any video. I know it's not, it's not good, but uh, here there is no TV. I don't watch the TV. I don't hear, I don't listen to radio. So I saw it in the internet, and I will, I will see everything when I come back in France because uh, everybody talk about it. Emma is fortunate; she was able to get away, but others don't have that luxury. And all of Europe is on some kind of alert because of the Islamic State group's presence. Rob Wainwright, director of Europol, speaking to us via Skype, put it into perspective. Uh, the scale of, of those involved in perpetrating the threat. We have at least 5,000 European nationals, for example, that have been radicalized um, by conflict experience in Syria and Iraq, many of them returning to our shores with the intention to carry out terrorist attacks. And, of course, the figure is much higher um, if you count all the regions of the world. And the nature of this community is a dispersed one. So we're not dealing with a clear command and control structure, perhaps at the time that we saw from Al-Qaeda in the days of 9-11. So they are harder, therefore, to identify. These actors are moving in uh, almost independent way, um, in a random way. They've been radicalized um, to act on their own behalf um, in the name of ISIS. And so a much more difficult, more amorphous threat to contain. And the second point I'd make, JJ, is that the uh, internet plays a much more important role now in facilitating uh, the threat perpetrated by ISIS, much more than ever, ever before from international terrorist groups. The way in which it provides a means by which to recruit uh, a new members of the organization and a fantastic propaganda instrument, as we've seen from these brutal videos that, that are shown across social media. What is the biggest weapon that the Islamic State has? I think the ability to um, glorify their, their, their acts of terrorism, to um, brandish right across the internet this twisted uh, form of uh, their religious belief. Um, and, you know, with some brutal ideology that because of the internet allows them to spread it across potentially millions of, of people, that's very damaging to our society. Um, and and as a, a sort of an unconventional, more modern weapon, I think it is something that that, that uh, really characterizes the, the the modern nature of international terrorism that we face. Uh, and secondly, of course, the community, the large community of willing foreign fighters uh, who are willing to put their lives on the line to carry out the kind of atrocities we saw in Paris. So they have enough numbers, I think, of recruits um, to plan and carry out these, these attacks. So um, it's, it's certainly a significant threat that we face from them and, and perhaps certainly in Europe, the most significant terrorist threat we've seen for at least a decade. CBS News. Panicked people fleeing Brussels airport where two bombs have rocked the terminal. It was a big explosion. First we thought it was a billboard falling down or something. And I said, uh, run, run, we, we ran And once again, on March 22nd, 2016, that threat showed up again. This time, in Brussels, Belgium. Belgian Prime Minister Charles Michel called for calm and solidarity in the wake of the heinous attacks. 
à une épreuve difficile et nous devons faire face And à as he said during a news conference after the Brussels attacks, it was a difficult time. But the difficulty started after the Paris attacks. The Belgians were accused of intelligence failures and unwillingness to share and allowing the terrorists to operate under the radar, something that Wainwright found unfair. Looking at what took place in the aftermath of the Paris attacks and what we learned about uh, what was going on in Belgium, um, it appears as though the Belgian authorities knew quite a bit but in some cases were overwhelmed by the information that they had. And one of the things that we've heard, much has been made of the lack of cooperation between several countries in Europe, uh, including the French and the, the Belgians. How does Europol deal with that? Yeah, I think there's been some unfair media hype around, you know, the nature of the cooperation between Belgium and France. As far as I can see, it's very close. Um, I think you're right in that the Belgian investigators were rather overwhelmed by just how much activity was going on or how much information uh, was, was, was available. And it was just a seismic uh, security event, of course, um, in, in Europe last November. Uh, and it would have challenged any, uh, any authority and any agency. And I think, you know, so what that means is that we have to gear up a, a concerted European response so that we can help Belgium and indeed larger countries like France and the United Kingdom to deal with the full force of, the, of, of, of this threat. In our fight against terrorism. In January, the European Union and Europol unveiled what's known as the European Counterterrorism Center, the ECTC. Wainwright explained what it's about. Well, it's a platform hub. It's, it's what the um, U.S. law enforcement officials would recognize as a fusion center. It brings together connecting. Um, dozens of counter-terrorist agencies from around Europe on, on, a, on a single secure platform for exchanging intelligence. So its first task is to try and improve the level of in, uh, intelligence exchange um, across the borders in, in Europe uh, and make the connections, for example, between the traditional uh, intelligence domain um, and wider police databases. Many of the suspects, most of them in fact in, in the Paris case, have a criminal background. And information about them therefore is, is held in many different police databases in different countries. And the power of our new center and the power of Europol is, is, a, is in our ability to connect those multiple databases still in a secure way so that the intelligence services uh, and the counter-terrorist authorities can have maximum reach through Europol into the wider law enforcement domain. And this, this will be uh, an essential part uh, of, of our work. We're also, of course, gearing up a number of our operational services to track terrorist financing, flows of firearms from the criminal underworld, uh, and in many other areas as well. So I think we will be both a, an information hub, but also an operational center to support major counter-terrorist investigations. Europol officials came here to Washington for the 2016 Nuclear Security Summit, convened by President Barack Obama. They were part of a broad U.S.-led effort to tackle the growing capabilities of the Islamic State Organization, including its interest in attacking nuclear facilities. And at that event, President Barack Obama made it clear, cooperation is not what it should be and needs some work. We're all going to have to do more when it comes to intelligence sharing. We simply cannot afford to have critical intelligence not being shared as needed, whether between governments or within governments. And today's an opportunity to explore ways to step up those efforts. 
The Brussels attacks took place just days after a key arrest in the Paris attacks. And President Obama, like Rob Wainwright, warned, as the Islamic State group is squeezed, it will lash out in other places. And Wainwright says ISIL's ability to shift gears and to do it covertly and to attack so effectively highlights its sophistication. Well, it showed us just how internationalized the threat has become um, because in Europe, of course, we have open borders uh, across most of our countries, which is a great benefit to society and something, you know, really we should continue to cherish and defend as much as possible. Um, but it, it allows the movement of this large community of foreign fighters across our borders. Um, we, the, the, the nature, of course, of the attack in Paris is such that they weren't just striking France, they were striking uh, the freedoms and the ideals of the West as a whole. And, and we've seen from uh, IS videos be both before and after the attacks that they have the intention to strike at France again, but also other countries in Europe, including the UK. And of course, the US remains, to a certain extent, um, you know, the pinnacle of, of, of Western values and will always be a target, I think, for IS as well. So this globalized threat and, and moving and shaping through the globalized mechanisms of the internet, as I said, and as well as the, the freedom of movements means that we need a more structured, more coherent, globalized police response. And in Europe, that means taking advantage of the fact that Europol now is the common law enforcement center, has established over a number of decades a strong capability to connect the law enforcement community here. And we just want to put the full disposal of our of our skills now, um, uh, uh, the full range, sorry, of our skills at the disposal of, of the law enforcement intelligence community. And that's that's what we're trying to do. Since our interview, Brussels obviously was attacked and another blow was struck by ISIL, proving that Paris was not an anomaly, but possibly the beginning of a string of attacks in the heart of Europe. It also unleashed withering criticism of Belgium's intelligence and law enforcement community. And coming up in our next episode, for the first time, Belgium's man in Washington pushes back on that criticism. I'm not going to enter into a bland game of utter denial of critical points that have been mentioned by the press. There have been weak spots. However, where I think that a bridge has been gone too far is by using cheap cliches and stereotypes. I won't recall them before you, but you know what I am referring to. In an exclusive interview, Johan Verbeek, Belgium's ambassador to the US, calls out the critics and sets the record straight. We are open for a merits-based discussion. Let's look at the facts and figures. And on that account, although, again, I concede that not everything is perfect, I can tell you that things were working much better than the press and others have been uh, showing. I'm JJ Green, and this is Target USA.